This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 5th. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Well, welcome back, everybody. And, of course, this is our special driving episode that we are now starting to do over here on the Horses in the Morning show. This is our second month that we're doing it on the first Thursday of the month. For those of you that are listening in the Driving Radio Show feed and have missed a couple and wondering what the heck's going on, that's what we have done. We have taken the Driving Radio Show and brought it over to Horses in the Morning to introduce driving to a whole new crop of people. So that's what we're doing. We started last month, and we'll still put this episode out on the Driving Radio Show feed, so you'll still get to hear about driving. Uh, And it's a little bit longer show, uh, but it's only once a month. So it gives Wendy also a little bit more time to delve into the traditional Chinese medicine stuff and have more guests, which is what we have coming up today, Wendy. We got a bunch of them, don't we? Oh, yeah. We have uh, Katie Cadwell from Tremont Farm for our uh, regular training tip session. And she's going to tell us about learning uh, about teaching our ponies to drive in a group. And then we have uh, Abby Trexler, the executive director of the American Driving Society, to talk about um, to give us our ADS update. And uh, we also have Katie Whaley. From the Lexington Carriage Classic that just wrapped up this last week. And so we're going to hear about that pleasure driving show. Plus, uh, our first installment of Carriages 101 with Kathleen Hack from the Carriage Association of America. And she got to talk what that's a new segment that we're going to do with the Carriage Association talking about for basically new people getting into driving. The, it, the most confusing thing one is, you know, what. What do I do about a harness? The second thing, and we'll talk about that later, but the second thing is what kind of carriage do I buy? Because there's only a thousand different kinds of carriages. So we're going to start with Meadowbrooks because that seems to be where everybody goes, but is it the wisest choice? And that's what we're going to talk about uh, with with Kathleen Heck from the CAA, the Carriage Association of America today. Plus, don't forget, you're doing a Chinese medicine update. What's that about? Oh, yeah, I'm doing a Chinese medicine update. We're talking about anhydrosis or non-sweating in horses. Very good. Well, let's do this. Let's get started. And we are going to start today with our training tip of the month. Our tip this month is from Kitty Cadwell of Tremont Farm. Kitty and her sister Miranda have represented the USA in multiple combined driving world championships and have many national titles in both combined and pleasure driving with singles, pairs, and multiples with both horses and ponies. In addition to their own competition success, they are wonderful teachers and have helped many drivers and their horses reach their goals. Kitty joins us each month for a training tip. Our training tips are based on a training goal of teaching our single horse or pony to be well-mannered and safe on a group or a picnic drive. Last month's tip was developing our training plan and teaching our horses to stand quietly. Today's training tip is implement- implementing our training plan, learning to drive quietly, and leading or following in a group. 
Hi, Katie. How are you doing this month? Good. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. Well, we're so excited to hear about your next training tip. I know. I hope people got a lot out of the last one. And I think we'll just build on that one. I can't wait to hear about it because I think that having the plan is the most important thing you need to get going. And then now you kind of get, you know, you're getting into the time when you need to start actually moving a little bit forward. And I think our topic today is where sometimes people get stuck, right? Because we're learning to drive in a group. Right. So we're going to start implementing our plan. So we need to keep track of what we're doing, but we need to move forward on our goal, our end goal. And if our end goal, like I seem to recall that Glenn said he wanted to do a picnic drive. Am I right? Right. right. Yep. Right. Go- so then if Glenn's going to do a picnic drive, he's probably going to be going out with more than one turnout. So whether you're riding or driving, we're going to have to go out in a group. And Glenn doesn't want to be like that guy that's like, <laughs> like totally I usually am. <laughs> that everybody's like, I wish that Glenn would just stop showing up with his crazy <laughs> pony because he's making my pony crazy and I can't stand driving with him. That's about right. You got it and, there. <laughs> and you know, people love to point fingers. So if their horse is bad, it's always someone else's fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On leading and following in a group would be we need to train this. You mean you drive with other people before you get to the big group? I think that's what we're going to have to do. <laughs> I think that a lot of people, when they first start driving, if you don't, or if you're not in a place where other people drive carriages, I think sometimes they get to a show or a group and they're surprised that their pony is afraid of seeing other horses and carriages because they might have never seen that before. They maybe know that they're in the carriage, but they don't know what that looks like if they aren't around other carriage horses. So you get into a group and there are other horses, other carriages, harness. And they make different noises. And the horses are, you know, they're very noise sensitive. Yeah, that's true. Because what if somebody has like a, a pair or a four in hand with pole chains or they have a loud carriage that has like metal on the wheels? Right. And that's scary. All of a sudden you have a new noise. So whether you're riding or driving, when horses get in a group and they are herd animals, they like to be with other horses, but still noises. Think about it. When you go out driving and the trash can's at the end of the driveway and it wasn't there the day before, the horses tend to look at it. Oh, yeah. That's like running the gauntlet going out trail riding on trash day. That's right. So then if we start working on that and teach them not to be afraid of it and teach them to trust us, is that if we say, hey, this isn't scary, they also will follow suit. Say this is the first time you like finally con some friends of yours to come out driving with you. And it's your first time driving in a group. Like, do you have any like safety precautions? Like, I mean, I know it's always best to drive with a friend, but sometimes singles, single drivers don't always take an extra person. Like a header could be really important your first time out, right? Yes. I would want to have someone else with me. And then you want to think about just what we were talking about, about, last time about the standing and quietly putting two is you want everything to be quiet and no big deal. So everything's easy, quiet. We add in the, the more carriages or the more riders and you quietly let them get used to that, that it's not a big deal that no one's running around or coming, driving straight across you, but you let your horse see that the other carriages aren't scary. 
Right. So you maybe let everybody know like, Hey, I have a green pony. So I need, and so like everybody's working in a group to help you train this pony the first time. Right. And then you can say, okay, I know my horse and my horse is, he's a leader. So I'm going to ask if I can go in the front this time and then he can get used to things behind him and then let him get comfortable with leading. And then later you can say, would you try to pass me and then go in front of me and I'll let my pony follow this time because they need to be able to lead and follow. We can't be, like you said, the one person that goes to the drive and says, oh, I have to always go in the lead because my little fluffy must always be in the lead. (laughs) What if Glenn's pony is this guy that always wants to be in the front? Then how does he, how does he quietly train him to, to lead, to follow in the group? Okay. So Glenn's goals before he was working on his halts and being quietly standing. So then if we're going to go in the back and let someone go in front of us, because Glenn's been working on these halts, which include downward transitions, Glenn will stay behind and he'll work on half halt and slowing his pony until his pony's brain says, Oh, it's not so bad to follow. Mm-hmm. I, I want to clarify but though. Not just, that you're I, getting in- I know we're using this <laughs> as an example, but I do want to clarify that going slow and following is not one of his problems. So he, ha- he has that <laughs> down pat. Um, he likes to go slow. Oh yeah. Okay. He likes to be last and then do, eventually just, you can't even see the others because he gets so lazy. So oh, that's this is one problem I don't even have. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's better than getting to the picnic and your arms being so tired you can't pick up your sandwich. Yeah, the first pony I had was that way. And uh, (laughs) she was a little race pony, county race pony. And so she pretty much pulled the cart with the reins. There was no, the traces did no work. So it was like, your arms were dead. (laughs) Because Wendy knows you don't want to think, am I going to live through this picnic drive? Because that's not a good feeling. No, (laughs) I want to think, oh, I can't wait to get to the picnic drive and enjoy my champagne. That's exactly it. Enjoy your champagne. Your arms are relaxed. Your horse is relaxed. And you're having fun with your friends, not but your is, teeth chattering and your arms in pain. But it is true, whatever pony, you know, if you've even gone out with your friends, it's, it's a completely different environment when you have 30 or 40 carriages there. Um, and and not and maybe not all the other ponies are as well behaved as your pony. And exactly, maybe, and that can cause problem too. Yeah, and then competition. You know, there's uh, always a little bit of competition between ponies sometimes, or horses. I mean, we're using ponies loosely here. Um, so, I know you're talking about doing half halts and things so that uh, they don't become the leader. But that's sometimes easier said than done when the adrenaline's going uh, on on the horse's part, which usually then means the adrenaline's going on your part. Right. So you're getting nervous because there are 20 other carriages and then you're wondering if your pony is going to be good. So then my first thing is you need to take a deep breath and relax your body because your nervousness will translate to your horse or pony. Also, Glenn, I have some, I have a something to say to you people that drive these super slow ponies (laughs) for people behind you that are trying to train their horse to stay at the pace 
you shouldn't just let them go super, super slow until you can't see the other horse and then trot up really fast to catch up to him and then, then walk slow again. Because that, that's not fair to the people behind that you. That is one of Wendy's pet peeves. I know. <laughs> I've been with you on a cart before and where you're following <laughs> slow horses. I know. I can't stand that. If you're going to do that's that. All about, that's all about the same thing that we were talking about last time when we were setting up our plan was finding a pace. Right. So we need a steady pace. And that is in the same thing with transitions and halts and that we can trot at one pace, keep up with the group, fall back a little bit, but not walk behind and then race up because then you're not in control of the pace. And right. You're the driver, not the horse. So is there a trick? So I'm still coming back to the thing where your horse is deciding he wants to lead the race. Um, is there a, a, a trick? I know you're talking about half halts and things. Is it best to tuck in right behind another one, or you know what? Are, what are your what are your recommendations there? Well, first thing would be just exposing them to this. The more you do it, the better the horse will get at it. Finding somebody, a friend, or uh, someone you know that has a very solid horse, whether riding or driving, that you could follow behind would be very helpful. And one that, as Wendy said, sets a very nice pace. A steady eddy, yeah. A yeah, steady, like maybe yeah. if they're if they're really freaking out in the group, it has its friend that it drives with, and then the your horse and your friend can make a circle and then try to come back to the group. That's exactly right. Because if you have room or a field or you know, if you circle, so your horse is racing up on the other horse, make a circle, come back, make a circle, come back until it's essentially give them another job to do so they don't get upset about what they're worrying about you say okay i want you to bend i want you to slow down i want you to speed up i want you to bend the other way give them another job to do and they're back to you and you'll find that this starts to go away either the racing or the slowing down see kitty always ends up putting dressage into everything even a picnic drive glenn you see that <laughs> dressage is in everything <laughs> I know, but I don't like to admit it. <laughs> Nobody likes but to admit it. you know it. it's true. <laughs> I do know it's true. Nobody likes What are other things that ha- might happen at a picnic drive that you should be ready for? We had one. I've told this story before. We were out uh, when I had my first pony years and years ago. We were out on a picnic drive, and we used to go four hours. It was Lancaster Carriage Club, um, uh, Red Rose Driving Club, and we, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We used to go out for hours, and they used to take a break for lunch at about the two hour mark and we were, we were used to go through towns and we get police escorts and they would you could go through traffic lights they would have all police escorts and stuff so we would we, would, we parked at the Lidditz Park I'll never forget this and there were about 30 rigs for uh, singles pairs four in hands the whole works uh, and uh, right beside the train tracks well nobody knew a train was going to come up and put on <laughs> his brakes and stop with the screeching right beside the train tracks or right beside the park. I mean, the oh screeching gosh. brakes, which sent about 75% of the rigs. Remember, we're just sitting there having a picnic. <laughs> and everybody's quiet, eating, talking, and all of a sudden, there's screeching brakes, and half the horses are gone. 
Uh, one <laughs> one little girl, about seven years old, almost got run over by a pear. I mean, it was a disaster. My pony stood straight up, and I mean, straight up, didn't go anywhere, thank God, but stood straight up till we got in front of her. It was just one of those nightmare scenarios that you cannot see coming. But I know that's an extreme example. But what are other things that you can prepare for? I don't know that you prepare for that one. Would <laughs> I don't know. There's no way to prepare for a train coming. But if you've trained everything else, when the eventuality comes that we are have a train running up your backside as you're picnicking, hopefully that you will your horse will trust you enough that you can say, hey, whoa, it's okay. Talk quietly to them. Maybe let them walk. So, yes, and as you said, there are other horses bolting all around you. But if you've done your homework, even when they're startled by something, the startling won't be so extreme. And and I think that yeah, that's what happened too, is is with all of the other horses bolting. I mean, that was that's where the extra pressure came from for the ones who were trying to be good, uh, was the other ones bolting. So I think also too, one like, screamed lion attack. Exactly. Oh yeah. Exactly. But I think what with Keedy's method of just working everything quietly in little in little steps, um, what She's right. Like your pony will trust you, you know, so it doesn't think, okay, every time I go out, I'm going to get nervous and they're just going to hang on my mouth until the, the ride's over. Then they don't really trust you. So if you work on a way to like calm them down, so they're like, oh, I'm scared. But then my mom did these things to help me and it wasn't so bad. So they can get less and less reactive to stimuli. That's right, Wendy. And then you think, okay, I always work, especially with the young ones. So, right, yesterday I was driving, say, a three, four, coming four-year-old. And she had a place that she thought was really scary. And it was her second day in the pair. So what you want to think about is slowing everything down. Don't, you know, use the whip or scream at them. If they want to look at something, walk slowly by it. You don't make a big deal. They won't make a big deal. Let everything calm down. Wait. Because the biggest problem is when people rush things, it, the horse gets ahead of them. They get flustered. Everything needs to slow down. Your horse needs to think slow. You need to think slow. It's dressage again. Right? So if they're scared of it, you use bending. You use pushing them left and right. And just quietly let them go by it. That They'll learn that even if you had like, the seven-foot boogeyman standing next to you, they could survive it if you were with them. You know, I have to I have to tell on you, Kitty, for a minute. Um, Kitty and Randy's farm is right on this dirt road where we all drive by to get to different sides of Southern Pines. And at Halloween, like, I don't know if this is like a, a public service for training, but they put up all these giant, like, blow-up, animals like seven foot boogeyman all <laughs> along the side and you cannot get by this area without going by these scary things but it is a really good training a really good training opportunity we did randy had a i believe it was a seven foot green oogity boogity that stood next to the road yeah right the road right before you get to the bridge yes <laughs> Well, if you remember so, right, all our horses learned. It's okay. Yeah, Wendy, do you true. remember we went to where were we? Uh, where did we go for the ADS meeting that time? And we were in the parade. 
Aiken. We Aiken. went to Aiken. Do you remember what happened? Everybody was parking at a park to to get tacked up and to get harnessed up and head out. And we all started heading out, uh, carriages heading to the parade in town. And once we made the turn right out of the park, we were at a thoroughbred farm, remember? Oh, yeah. And the baby thoroughbreds, did some get loose? What was it? A couple got loose from the handlers. They freaked out seeing the carriages, and they got loose and ran to the road, which caused a couple of the carriages to bolt. And it was just one of those things that (laughs) it was one of those bizarre things. Um, It was just bizarre. You know, it was just, I don't know how you planned for that one. But other than what you said, some of the horses bolted. Wendy's didn't bolt. Um, So it comes down to that, that, desensitizing and training thing and that only comes with practice and you know what i hadn't and trust i hadn't, and trust, I yeah. hadn't had that horse i had to take that horse uh I, I took abby and he was just a baby then i had to take him because remember um dante was lame right so we took abby and it was thanks to kitty and randy and Fonz because they trained abby to drive we were so smart. He wasn't scared. The smart enough ones too. We saw the situation coming down. Instead of keeping going, we turned around, and most people turned around and went back to the park, settled down a bit, let the situation handle out. A couple of them kept going, and I bet you they had problems too, because when yeah. you got horses running around loose like that, it, nothing good is going to come of it. <laughs> you know, there were baby thoroughbreds running around, yearlings running around everywhere, and it was not good. You know, we're in the road, and it, it, so turning around and getting out of the situation, letting your horse chill was probably the best thing we we could have done there, because ah, you know. It's baby thoroughbreds. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing that people do in those situations is the grooms get off and run to help the other person. Mm. And our rule is always stay with your turnout. Oh, that's because a good, no, that's trouble, good rule. Like if you had jumped off the carriage, if you had jumped off the carriage when the thoroughbreds were running around and, uh, you know, left Wendy alone, it could have been a disaster. You just have to always stay with your turnout and everyone stay quiet and relax. Yes, and and you are correct. Remove yourself from the situation. You, we, uh, I, I was not leaving Wendy for that particular day. There was too much craziness. <laughs> I was going, Wendy, just get us out of here. <laughs> That's right. We're a team. Man. I value my body parts. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, well, Katie, uh, what's, our, what's our tip for next month? I think we're going to work on, um, like, maybe introducing some, like, now we've done some picnic stuff, introducing some other things like crossing water. Oh, wow. Going out maybe, yeah, gateways, cones, anything that the horses might see while you're out that will end up being things they'll be exposed to when they're showing. But we're going to do it just in our normal everyday driving. Okay, that's that's going to be a great one. I can't wait till next month. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon. No problem. Talk to you later. I'm Diane from Ontario, Canada, and I'm an HRN auditor because I love the content and the fun and the information. There's so much. I get so much enjoyment out of li- listening to the podcasts, and I've been a podcast listener for since the beginning of time, since I think 2008. Anyway, everyone should be an auditor. We got to support this horse radio network because we want them to continue with the great work they're doing. 
To become an HRN auditor and to join the party, please visit horseradionetwork.com and click on the auditor banner on the right side of the page. For as little as a dollar a month, you too can join the party. And coming up next is our regular American Driving Society segment, and we do this every month as well. The American Driving Society has been a sponsor of the Driving Radio Show for seven years now. So Avi Trexler is the Executive Director of the American Driving Society and editor of its award-winning magazine, The Whip. Each month, Avi joins us with the ADS update. This month, we discuss the new safety vest rule and the Brandywine Valley Driving Camp. Well, hi, Abby. Thanks for coming back again this month. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. We're talking about safety vests. Is there a new rule? Is that why we're chatting about this? There is. So at our winter board meeting, the ADS Board of Directors passed a new rule that's going to go into effect on January 1st of 2019. And it reads, to require protective vests that that meet applicable domestic or international standards for everyone participating on a carriage during a marathon or any competition that includes marathon-type obstacles starting January 1, 2019, and junior requirements will be unchanged. But that does not mean cones, just a marathon? That's correct. It's uh, during the marathon or when you're participating in marathon-type articles. Uh, obstacles, sorry. Like derby. Like Remember yeah, the, derbies the derbies one where yeah. it's in the ring and you have marathon hazards plus cones. So, and you do drive very fast. There. So were, so were these optional good. before? Because a lot of people wore them. So I didn't, they were optional? Yes, it was optional okay. before. Um, now we've just sort of closed that loophole. I, I think it's going to be really good for our membership. You know, I sort of think that it's like when we started all wearing helmets. Um, it's going to be hard at first just because there's a little bit of a learning curve and, um, you know, people aren't used to wearing vests and we're trying to make it a little easier for them. And along that line, I'm really excited to announce that we've, uh, partnered with carriage imports for a retail discount for our ADS members for all, uh, safety vests and helmets that they offer on their site. Oh, that's great. It's really cool. So Carriage Imports is going to offer the ADS membership a 10% discount on all safety vests and helmets, along with 10% off any other new items that you order in the same order. And then you get free shipping on the entire thing unless you order a carriage. And they've told me they will not extend their free shipping on a new carriage. <laughs> what? Well, you, but you do get ten percent off. <laughs> what no, a five hundred pound carriage, carriage? isn't reduced in free shipping? I'm disappointed. It's not worth it to buy the vest if you get ten percent <laughs> off on your carriage. It absolutely is. And you know, uh, Karen Slaughter, who owns the company, is really customer service oriented, and she has assured me that if any ADS members need help with fitting, she'll send them a kit. And then she'll walk them through the process over the phone. Um, and that, you know, will help with the standard sizing. But mm-hmm. this 10% off is on, applies to a custom vest as well. So she can help you get fitted for a custom vest, oh, which great. I think will be great for the membership. You know, I know when we first started wearing vests, before they made vests specifically for driving, um, some people didn't like it because when you have these riding vests, they have the, the part that comes down that protects your um, sacrum. 
So sometimes they would ride up, but the new vests that they do for the drivers are really comfortable to wear. You don't even notice that you have it on. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, Karen's offering some really great driving specific vests that meet uh, this new rule and they, you know, they don't hang down. They're not going to ride up on you as you drive. They're really going to be as comfortable as they can be. That's great. And that is important, actually. You know, as as much as helmets, uh, having been in the retail business for a long time, as much as helmets are important to have fit correctly, vests are as important Uh, for comfort's sake, but also for safety's sake. And I know you just had the Brandywine Valley Driving Camp. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, ADF treasurer Dan Rosenthal and I attended for one day and got to really see what it was all about. So this is their third annual camp. It's the uh, this camp that the Brandywine Valley Driving Club puts on, and they want to appeal to young drivers and new drivers as well. So they recruited prospective drivers from other disciplines, and these are people that love horses and have a little bit of horsemanship already under their belts through various experiences, but no actual driving experience. And so they got four uh, youth drivers and four adults, and they gave them a week-long camp that was five hours a day of just excellent training from some of the best teachers we have to offer in the driving community. So these drivers, they started out the week knowing that they loved horses and knowing how to ride. And they got to learn everything from how to harness a pony to how to hitch them to how to drive a dressage test and how to navigate marathon obstacles. It was really an incredible experience and it was completely immersive for these drivers. They started at 11 o'clock or sorry, 10 o'clock and they were done at three o'clock every day. And they did everything from brushing the ponies to driving them in these very complicated sets of, of obstacles and cones. And were these kids, these kids already rode, you said, right? Yeah, yeah, they rode. Uh, some of them came from the dressage ring. Mm-hmm. And so they had an idea about what a dressage test was. But, you know, when you're behind the horse rather than on it, it changes things. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, hopefully you inspired some uh, young new drivers. I think it totally, it, it definitely did. Um, you know, it was all donated uh, ponies and harness and carts and everyone that came and gave seminars and uh, lessons donated their time. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, it was just this wonderful example of training and education of drivers just at a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it's what ADS has been doing for nearly 45 years. And it was just a reminder of what we're really all about. So do you think this will lead to others doing the same thing? That's what we're hoping. You know, at at ADS, uh, we're very uh, forward-thinking about education and ways we can get new drivers into the sport and teach the drivers that are coming up through the ranks. And so definitely this is is on our list of items that we, you know, clinics we will support and other educational uh, opportunities that we're interested in. Sounds good. Well, of course, you can find the American Driving Society at americandrivingsociety.org is where you find them. Uh, Memberships are available over there. All of the terrific information is available on the website, americandrivingsociety.org.
Our next guest, Katie Whaley, has represented the USA at the Pony World Championships many times with ponies, pony fours and pairs, and has multiple national championships in both pleasure and combined driving. Katie has been instrumental in expanding the USEF Developing Drivers Program, and she is also the fantastic haberdasher at Hats by Katie. Today, she joins us to talk about the Lexington Carriage Classic. Welcome, Katie. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Now, you had a big job this weekend organizing uh, the Carriage Classic. Tell us about this show of yours. Well, it kind of came together a few years ago. The Carriage Association of America decided they wanted to uh, host a pleasure show at the Kentucky Horse Park, and and I helped Jill Ryder, and a bunch of us all helped Jill Ryder, directors and stuff, run it. And um, after a while, the CA just decided it it wasn't really part of their function. It's just it was too much work for Jill, and mm-hmm. um, it wasn't really the job of the CAA to run a pleasure show. So they um, they decided to, to stop running it. And um, my mom and I and Kathy Cordemanche, Todd Draham, and Guy and Karen Homer-Brown decided we really wanted to keep this, this show going. So we formed this committee, and we started all over again with the Lexington Carriage Classic this year. So um, I, I'm, from what I'm hearing with the reviews, it was a really, a really big success. I mean, I had a great time, and I think everybody else did, too. You know, I've shown there before, and Glenn's come out to see me there actually showing. And uh, I actually, that is one of my favorite shows. I love showing at the Kentucky Horse Park. But I also love that it's a USEF-rated show um, because I drive, like you, crossbred horses. So for pleasure driving, there aren't that many opportunities for people like us that have, you know, like uh, non-breed-specific horses. Yeah, that's true. And we are the only USEF-recognized all-pleasure show in the country. And um, the USEF gave us great support this weekend. They actually came around with coffee and donuts one morning for us. Oh, and, that's um, nice. They were very, yeah, they were very nice. They, publicized on their website for us, and um, and it's going to be a long-going partnership. Um, I, I think that's the wave of the future with pleasure shows. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a great support, and um, also people that, that want to, not everybody's interested in, but people that want to receive points for the year-end awards if their horses are, are registered with the USCF. Mm-hmm. So and also for the licensed officials, it's difficult. I mean, you're a, a licensed official for USEF and ADS, but it is difficult to get your hours in that you need for judging and to be a TD for these shows if if we don't have uh, USEF pleasure shows. True, true. Um, I think people are under the, the misnomer that to go USEF is really expensive and complicated, and it's really not. Um, to register a show actually... Um, is quite um, is quite economical, and the insurance um, helps us in the support we get from the staff, and just the membership at the USEF is is just enormous. So it helps mm-hmm. us spread the word and helps pleasure drive and get out there to more of the breeds. You know, a lot of people go to the K- the Kentucky Horse Park to see all the different breeds and all the different horses. You know, even if they're not actually showing there. They get a lot of tourists in. So having a pleasure show is actually really great for the general population that just wants to come out and see the show because you had everything from like a utility class to coaching, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was quite a variety of classes and breeds. I mean, I, I lost count when we were, we were chatting earlier, but we had a pony club rally going on at the same time and the kids in between 
step, especially the parents that were kind of bored, they came down and I looked and for, for the first time since I've been back at Walnut Hill, there was actually a crowd of people watching. It was so exciting. So it, we really, I yeah. think we attracted a lot of people. Yeah, because I think, you know, seeing the coaches is exciting and it it's impressive, but if you don't drive, like seeing a coach, you're like, okay, that's impossible to achieve. But like these pony club moms, seeing a pony put to a marathon carriage showing in the, in the classes, that's something that you, you think to yourself, Hey, I think I could do that. Well, yeah. A mother said, now I know what to do with the pony after my, my child outgrows it. So there we go. And, um, Uh, yeah, it was, the variety was great, and the the level of the classes were the the quality of turnouts were really high. So that was exciting. So, what was your? Uh, I know you were showing your ponies, but besides your fabulous ponies, what was one of your uh, one of the highlights for you at the show? Well, I'm a tandem girl, and I didn't show a tandem, but Todd Draham uh, and the Tutwilers they both showed tandems, and Todd's tandem was pretty impressive. It's it's part of the coaching f- uh, for that. Misty just finished showing at Devon with and was champion at Devon this past, what, two weeks ago. Hey, mm-hmm. and let's, because uh, we have yeah. so many new listeners now that we've moved over to horses in the morning, let's explain what a tandem is again. Okay, a tandem is to, usually put to a two-wheel carriage, mostly a gig, um, and, which, is a formal, which is a formal carriage, and there's tandem is one horse in front of the other. It's very, very difficult to drive. It's the most difficult thing because the, the horse out in front is virtually out there on his own. The only thing that controls him is the reins and the traces, and they're just loose. So really, if you've got a tandem leader that doesn't really want to go forward, he can turn around and visit you. And okay. <laughs> so so to, to describe it even further, so the horse that is it, there is a horse in the shafts that's right in front of the cart, yep. okay? And right. then how is, how is the horse in front of the, the, the horse in the shafts connected to the horse in the shafts? He's just connected by the reins that go to his mouth for guidance and two other leather straps that go from his chest to the other horse's chest, and okay. those are called the traces. So is it a special harness to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's special as, as easy as a pair harness. is very specific for driving a pair, which is two horses side by right. side, or a four-in-hand, which has it's two horses in the back and two horses in the front. It's all different pieces of leather involved. But basically, he can do anything he wants out there. Turn around, face you. Yeah, that's the um, fun of it. That's why <laughs> we love it. Sideways, backwards, yeah, exactly. whatever he wants to do. He's just out there. Is he actually, so he is, though, leading the parade. What is his job in a tandem, being the lead horse? He's really fancy. He really (laughs) doesn't have much of a function. And I'll go back to the original. Yeah, exactly. You want the the leader in the tandem can be a little bit smaller than the wheeler and a little flashier. And the origins of a tandem, going back, was really to go back to, to go to a hunt meet. You would drive a fox hunting meet. You would drive the wheeler and the leader and the wheeler would, would stay, you would have the leader dressed in with a regular saddle and bridle. You would unattach the traces, and you would take off the leader, and you would hunt the leader. So he wasn't hired when he got there because he wasn't doing any work and pulling the carriage. Uh, so he's just going along. He's not actually doing any pulling at that point. No. Okay. No. Got it. And that's my, that, the reason Katie and I love that tandem so yeah. much and i think the attraction of that is when you have a really good tandem leader in fact barry said to me the other day barry dickinson said 
you only have one fabulous tandem leader in your life. And it's always like your most right. special horse and they will do whatever they're like bold and they don't always pay attention, but they always come through for you. Yeah. You know, it's very true. And yeah, so that's very, very true. Yeah. I think that's what makes it so fun driving a tandem because you wouldn't put a tandem together if you didn't have one that was a good leader. You just, you especially wouldn't show it. You, no, you'd die. <laughs> you'd die. Yeah. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah, I was just going to ask you what could what what are the things that can go wrong with this setup, but I think almost anything could go wrong with this setup. You can spin oh, around yeah. in a big circle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that's great. That sounds like a really fun show. So, when's your when are you having it again next year? Yes, we are. We just figured out the date. It's going to be the 20th, Thursday, the 20th of June through the 23rd. We'll finish it again on Saturday night. Um, but then we have the stalls through Sunday. So um, people are going to be able to pack up at their leisure on Sunday morning and go home. And, um, or people were able to leave late Saturday afternoon if they, if they live pretty close. I was able to drop my ponies at home and come back for the awards. So, um, yeah, we're trying to make it as user-friendly and as fun as we can. And oh, we also did a barn party, which generally we, people go in front of their stalls and set up something that's it's from their state, some kind of food that represents their state or something that mm-hmm. they like to make. And we were worried about the rain coming in because we're not indoors with the stabling. And so we said, let's move it up to the mezzanine by the, um, the vendors and the carriages. And we did. And it, it turned out that people loved it more because they each had their little stations. But everybody was allowed or able to mingle and talk. And they didn't have to be stuck at their stalls hosting people. So right. that is what we're going to do again next year. And it turned into this big block party. It was fantastic. Oh, that sounds really, really fun. So, okay, that people, one. if you're near Kentucky or you want to go see a carrot show, do not miss the Lexington Classic. Well, coming up now is the ever-popular wonderful Dr. Wendy Ying doing her traditional Chinese medicine segment, and it is freaking hot <laughs> here in Florida right now. <laughs> we were up in Tallahassee over the weekend, and I got in the car twice. It was over 100 degrees, uh, and I know it's warmer down where you are, and the humidity's been a 1,000%, and one of the problems that people have, especially in the southern states in this heat, is their horse is not sweating. And uh, it's right. something that we talk about almost every year. And Wendy provides a little bit of a different approach to it because she's coming from the Chinese, a veterinarian and a Chinese medicine person. So let's hear about, what's it called? Anhydrosis. 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 An means not, and hydrosis is sweating, not sweating. Okay, good. I'm sweating. And we all have, if you've had horses long enough, you're going to have run across a horse that has this. Yeah, and um, usually the reason why we see it so much in Florida is that in Florida, we have long periods of time where the heat index is well above 90. So the heat index is the humidity plus the ambient temperature. Right. So like what you were saying, how you had to get in the car, right? You needed to get into the AC because you were feeling like you were going to pass out. Right. You were especially this weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, in in people, we don't know the exact mechanism of why horses stop sweating. But in people, it's been well researched that multiple bouts of heat stroke 
cause the sweat glands to become uh, less reactive. Uh, so they, they just don't work, right? Your sweat glands get over, uh, they get overworked. Um, and in people, you know, when you're having these bouts of heat stroke, you're like, oh, I got to go inside the AC. With horses, they don't have AC, right? But, and sometimes, like, they don't know to stop you and say, hey, I feel weak and shaky and I'm having heat stroke. So especially with carriage driving, sometimes you may not know that your horse is experiencing minor bouts of heat stroke. So usually the first sign we see is either uh, lethargy or they start panting. Uh, and horses will start panting if they can't sweat enough to cool their body. They start panting to try to release some of that heat. And um, w- the way we look at this in Chinese medicine, we have the yin and the yang. So the yin is like your air conditioner and your yang is like your furnace. So when you have uh, multiple times when it's just too hot, your air conditioner, like say you have an old air conditioner in your house and it gets really hot. The air conditioner always breaks in the summer, right? It never breaks in the fall or the spring when you're not using it. It works. It breaks when it's working too hard. So when your air conditioner is broken, you can't cool the body. So this is what we call a yin deficiency. Um, also, with the Chinese medicine, we have the different elements that represent different parts of the body. So the um, fire element is involved with the heart, and the heart controls the sweating in Chinese medicine. So you have a heart yin deficiency. Um, and the way that we go about treating this is uh, we can do acupuncture, herbs, and food therapy. Um, conventional treatment for non-sweating and Chinese medicine for non-sweating, the first step is you need to recognize the problem, okay? If your horse is not really sweating, um, you can tell this by a couple ways. Sometimes you may notice, like, after you work them, they have a sticky coat, and and they're not real, uh, you know, if your horse gets sweaty, a lot of times they get wet and sweaty, but then when they're done and they dry off, they're not real sticky and, and, um, like salty, but sometimes in the beginning when they stop sweating, their coat gets like dry and sticky. Another thing you can do to, um, see if your horse is a non-sweater is to, uh, take his temperature. You know, just use a regular uh, rectal thermometer and take their temperature. If they're just standing around in the barn and their temperature is like 104 and they're panting, but their their coat is dry, that's a really big sign that they're a non-sweater. So um, uh, that's a good thing because uh, Scooter, you know, Jennifer's horse sweats like crazy. I mean, I'd call right. him an oversweater. Um, yeah. And then Scooter sweats a little but not a lot, but he doesn't show any other signs of having any problems so you know yeah. is he a non-sweater or just he doesn't sweat much you know is there a difference well, yeah, yeah so when you're in that if you're in that situation it would be good to take his temperature okay maybe before you start working and, then and maybe in the middle of work and then after okay because once they start working i mean their temperature can be up you know to 100 to 103 if they're working really hard in the in the hot weather 
you know, sometimes when we would come off marathon, you know, we have a vet check there, their temperature can go up to like 104, but the, the reason you have this vet check is you stop, you put water on them, you cool them down. And then within 10 minutes, they should come back. Their temperature should be coming down to something normal. If you, uh, like say after you, you drive scooter and you're like, wow, he kind of looks dry or maybe he's just wet under his, uh, saddle pad. Um, you know, of course you're going to hose him down, but maybe he's still panting like 20 minutes after you finish driving. That might be a good time to take his temperature too. If his temperature is still up really high, even after you've been home and cooling, he's behind the fan, then that could be an indication that he is a non-sweater and that he's having, you know, little incidents well, that, of heat stroke. That leads to the question, can there be, can, let's say it's just the opposite, okay? His panting's down, his temperature's fine, but he just doesn't sweat a lot. Are there horses that don't sweat a lot that really aren't a problem? Do you know what I mean? Does that happen? Oh, like, is that normal that they yes. just don't sweat? Are, yeah. Are there horses that don't sweat a lot and don't have a problem? Well, if they are in that category, uh, first of all, it'd be hard to track them because they're not sick, <laughs> right? right? So they wouldn't be calling me to come acupuncture them right. because it's That's not true. a problem. <laughs> That's true. So uh, I actually did have this situation one time. Do you remember my horse Ditto? You remember Ditto? Yes. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, Ditto was super lazy. We call him the trace carrier because he didn't pull the carriage. He only would carry the weight of his traces and he made everybody else work. And so I thought Ditto was a non-sweater because, you know, me, of course, I always like think all my horses are, you know, sick. I got to do something. Right. So I thought he was a non-sweater. And then someone said to me, maybe Ditto's just lazy and he's not sweating because he's not doing any work. So I canned him around the barn a couple of times and he was totally sweaty and normal. He just hadn't been doing any work. Maybe I'm not working him hard enough. Maybe that's Maybe you're not working him hard enough. <laughs> All right. So let's de- you have determined that he's not getting sweaty, his temperature's not coming down. Now what? Right. Now you should um make sure you have a fan in his stall and make sure that he your horse is in a situation where when he's turned out he can get out of the sun. They shouldn't be standing in the sun all the time. They need to be able to get to relief from the heat. Um, also make sure they have enough salt because they'll get, um, an electrolyte imbalance from not being able to sweat and having these episodes of, uh, of heat stroke and any horse working in the summer, please just give them, make sure they have enough salt and minerals in their diet. Um, the next thing you can do is, uh, in Chinese medicine, actually acupuncture and herbal therapy has, uh, we've done some double blinded studies that have been published in the equine veterinary journals that has shown that have shown that TCVM treatments can be very successful for these horses. So we do an acupuncture protocol to tonify the heart yin. And then we also put them on a herbal formula that also helps them sweat. Uh, there are also other products on the market that may or may not help. There's some supplements that are um, usually involve electrolyte therapy. Uh, for acupuncture, this is one of my favorite treatments to do, especially if I'm doing a demo, because we do a technique called hemoacupuncture, and this is a um, where we take a like a 21 gauge needle, which is like what your vet does uh, your vaccines with. And we actually um, 
put it into points like that are over vessel. So I usually use the, the forelimb and I put the needle in there and then we bleed about, um, you know, a hundred cc's of blood out of their leg. We can also bleed at their, um, jing well points, which are the points around the, the hoof. You're basically a human leech. Yes. That's why it's so dramatic. Why do you, why, I don't get why, why? In Chinese medicine, we feel like that, that, um, we're releasing heat. And it works. Sometimes okay, I do Okay, remind these points. me never to be with you when you're doing this, okay? No, it's really fun. <laughs> Sometimes we do these points and the horses will start sweating in the cross ties while we're working on them. Wow, okay. Which is really, that's why it's a, also a fun treatment. You know, arthritis is my number one thing I treat, but that is over a long period of time and, you know, you don't see results so instantly. But when you do some acupuncture on a horse and then they just like start sweating, you're like, yes, this is like... All right, That's so you're really so you got the p- points where you do the bleeding, and then what? There are also some points like you can do the tip of their tail, or you can do the tip of their ears to release heat. And I've actually um, done the tip of their ears with acupuncture needles that I've twisted around like a little earring, and I've actually used that on one of my horses that stopped sweating. So when I was working him, I did that, and it helped increase his sweating, but. Um, you need to do this over a period of time, like a, a few treatments over the summer. One treatment is not going to help. Um, you also need to be very careful that you monitor the heat index. So if you do have a horse that doesn't sweat, I would say, um, you know, if the heat index is above 90, you, you really shouldn't work them. So in South Florida, I really, you know, we just give our horses the August off. You know, just like in January, if you live up north, you can't ride when it's that cold. So maybe give them a little downtime in the summer so that they don't get too hot. Oh, and I, I have to talk about food therapy. Yes, that was gonna because I know you've talked about that before. And I was going to bring that up. Yeah, so food therapy is really um, eat a lot of watermelon. Yeah, but but we don't for the horses. Even though the horses do like the red part of the watermelon, that's a little too sugary for them. And with horses, we know like having too much sugar can cause a lot of other problems. So if you take the red part of the watermelon out, you can eat that for yourself or make watermelon margaritas with it. But the horses, <laughs> you can give the rind, the white part with the rind. We that's shouldn't really give the cool. horses the margaritas. That's not good. No, no, because alcohol is hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but speaking of alcohol, Dark beer is a very traditional treatment for uh, non-sweating. And the reason why is um, malt sugar, so like malt is cooling. Also for food therapy, like anything bitter is cooling and it it supports the heart. So dark beer like Guinness or um, there's a thing called Malta. Have you ever seen Malta? Kyle drinks that sometimes, Mexican beer. Um, and so that can help with non-sweating cucumbers are a really cold food. They're very good for horses to, um, to support their yin. You mentioned that on the last episode. And I, I, I thought I didn't know if Scooter or our horses would eat cucumbers. Scooter ate it and Nigel would not, but he, Scooter did eat them up. I was surprised because I never tried that before. Horses love them. Yeah. I never tried that before. Nigel didn't eat them? Nope. Mm. Well. 
Some horses are like suspicious of new foods. Right. You know, especially metal horses. And I think Nigel's a metal. He doesn't, just like you and Jen don't like to try fish. Right. Yeah, I'm suspicious of new foods too. So Yeah, so if the horses have never eaten anything but, you know, carrots, then they're going to be suspicious of that. But anything crisp and watery usually is a cooling food. Uh, radishes are really good, and horses like that, like uh, either regular red radish or daikon radish, horses like that. And then um, uh, we can do, like, remember the last um, thing we talked about with making the ice pops? I tried it. I wanted to tell yeah. you that. I did try the ice pops from last episode. If you missed it, go back and take a listen to the driving episode last month. Um, so, did they like it? Yeah, uh, yes. They like yes, they ate the pops. And, you know, Scooter was funny because he would try and chew on it. If I give it to him really frozen, yeah. he would try and chew on it. And then he was too smart. He was going, that's too much work. He'd wait till they melted and then he'd suck it all up. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> But, but yeah, both horses like, it. like to, if you have your water in, it, say you have your water in a metal trough that's out in the sun, the water is going to get really hot. And you know, on a hot day, like, is there anything worse than like your water has been sitting in your hot car, but you're so thirsty, so you drink it anyway? Yeah, it's yeah. Like not, it's not cooling at all. Right. So putting some uh, ice, you can either just you can do regular ice if you want in their water, but giving them some ice water also helps. But the ice pops are good because it in it, it includes some food therapy in there. Very cool. Anything else for to help out? Um. <laughs> so if we're going to wrap here, con- find a traditional Chinese medicine uh, doctor in your area. Yep. So you can find a, a TCVM doctor in your area by going to uh, tcvm.com. That's the Qi Institute website. And we have a directory there. There's a map you can put in your uh, zip code, and then it'll tell you um, the the veterinarians that have taken the Qi programs that are um, certified in acupuncture right there on that site. And then uh, also there's lots of different um, there's lots of different uh, things on the market that can give you more information about this. I know uh, Kentucky Performance Products has a great website with lots of information. And you can also go on to my site at drwendyying.com. And I have a blog post about that and also some food therapy options. Very good. Well, thank you, Wendy, for that. And coming up next on our show, we have a brand new segment from Kathleen at the Carriage Association of America called Carriages 101. Well, we're starting a new segment this month along with the Carriage Association of America, and that is we're going to take a look at the various types of carriages there are out there. And I'm not talking historical carriages like we did with David Saunders and uh, and Gloria Austin years back. We're actually taking a look at the ones you can buy today, the ones that are good for you, not good for you. What should I be looking for if I'm new to carriage driving? That's one of the most confusing things when you get into it, I know, because I went through that. So we're going to go through the various types of carriages, and we're going to do that with the help of Kathleen Hake, and she is with the Carriage Association of America. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Glenn. Great to be joining you. Well, you know, I think probably, and you probably have statistics on this, but just from my observation, and I did it too, 
the first thing that most people buy, I did it, my brother did it, I know a thousand people who did it, when they go out is they buy a Meadowbrook. And uh, so I thought that's going to be the perfect place to start because I'm not sure it was the right thing to do for a lot of us. So let's talk about Meadowbrooks. First, What what's kind of the history of the Meadowbrook? So carts in general are a lot like cars. There are some that have higher safety ratings and some that maybe don't have quite as high safety ratings. <laughs> some with airbags, and, some without. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and actually, when I was in high school and learning how to drive, we used to go to the Broome County uh, Fairgrounds in Whitney Point, New York, which turns out to be right down the road from where they used to make the Manola cart. And that was really the first time that we saw this type of cart back in 1885. Um, we're looking at carts that are very low hung. Uh, they're two wheeled vehicle, and you typically enter from the rear very, via a uh, hinged seat that can be raised to that's, admit the, that's the one uh, I driver have. and passenger. Yep. They originally started kind of off from gigs, which uh, originated in England in 1791, and those are kind of the sports cars of carriages. They're fast, guys tend to like them, they're flashy, girls like to be seen in them. But you need to be able to get in and out easily, particularly back in the day when you had a skirt. And that was where the Long Island carts, of which the Meadowbrook is one, came into being. Um, the best things about these carts was that you didn't have to go over the bar or try to climb over a wheel. Um, so, of course, ladies like them. Um, but at the same time, that is kind of what makes them less popular today. Um, because now we have uh, front-entering vehicles that are a little easier to climb into. Going over the, climbing over the axle and raising the seat is not seen as quite as safe. Um, you really need to, if you're purchasing one, make sure that your horse knows how to stand. Um, because if they move while you're climbing in, you can trip over the axle or fall on the seat. And uh, that, that can be a Not little that bit I of a never, problem. I never did that. <laughs> No, I've never done that either. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. So, uh, but the actual Meadowbrooks, uh, again, they're they're tied into the Long Island carts, uh, which all started down on Long Island. But the Meadowbrook comes from uh, the Meadowbrook hounds that were on Long Island, uh, the hunt club at that time. And people used to go out and follow them. And that's how they got the name Meadowbrook. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, and they're usually made of wood. As a matter of fact, you know, most of them you see are made of wood. Right, um, which makes them very easy to touch up. Yep. And they're but lightweight. The, but the other problem I had was once you got in, there was no quick, easy way out. No. Um, if you're sitting on the seat that goes up and down, and usually only one of the two seats went up and down, um, there's just, if you had to get out quick, you had to go over, over the side because they were not open on the side. Right. And technically, uh, they usually have large fenders, which makes it even harder to yes. get out. Yes. Um, and the biggest thing is, is that there's no way to balance the vehicle. So when we look at a nice vehicle that is helping the horse do his job, we want it to be balanced out so that when you Explain are what sitting that means. in your seat, yeah. okay. you can hold it with two fingers at the front. And, and really, that it's not it pushing down it. on the saddle on the horse's back. Right. Because yep. really, you only want maybe five pounds of pressure on that saddle. Um, the saddle is there to hold the shafts up. 
uh, and not to be pulled from. The pulling comes from the breast collar. But you, uh, if you have too much weight in the shafts, it can uh, make your horse's back sore, and, and we don't want to do that. Um, it'll also give you a rough ride. So um, b- depending on... Because there, there's no adjustments on it, really. On the, especially, I bought mine at Smucker's Harness Shop. You're, people have uh, been around a long time, going to remember that. Because mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in Leicester County, so you went to Smucker's and you bought what you wanted, right? Right. Um, and they sold a lot of Meadowbrooks because the Amish used them. Mm-hmm. And They're very inexpensive. Yep. Uh, they have wooden wheels, which we do like. Um, but the, the balancing... And the being able to get in and out easily are are two of the downsides of them. Um, it is important to note that if you're looking at a old Meadowbrook or a vehicle that is advertised as a Long Island cart, the shafts may have some ability to adjust. And not so much that they adjust for the weight, but they have a spring in them. Um, the ones that they make now do not in most cases. And you're right, depending on the size of the horse and whether the horse fit perfectly in the shafts, your shafts were either too long or too short, or you know, there was always mm-hmm. something with the Meadowbrook. Uh, and, and you're right, you couldn't control the distribution of weight. Just so that you are, and your readers are able to um, look for a better you, vehicle that fits th- I'm going to cut you there. Say listeners. Okay. Ah. I know everybody does it. Uh, Just so start that sentence over again, just so. Three, two, one. For the convenience of your listeners, we will post a uh, chart to our Facebook page, and you can share it over. That helps with the purchasing the right size shafts for your horse. Oh, wow. Um, And it has uh, for both a pole if you are driving two horses or uh, shafts if you're driving a single. That's great. I'd be happy to share that. I haven't seen that yet, so that'd be perfect. So who would you, who would you, I'm going to ask you a couple questions with all of these different vehicles that we're going to go over the next couple of months. Who mm-hmm. would you say is good, should be taking a look at Meadowbrook and who shouldn't? So Meadowbrooks are typically used with the horse breeds that, um, in America, we use them as pleasure-driving horses. They may not have originally started as pleasure-driving horses. So the Hefflingers, um, the Fjords, the Draft Horses, horses that are a little bit smoother in gait are the ones that you typically see them on. You can still, with the modern shafts, get a nice smooth ride. If you have a horse that has a lot of action in the front end and is bouncing you around a little, you're really going to feel that in the cart. Um, because the shafts don't absorb that anymore. Uh, if you are using an antique vehicle that has the uh, adjustments in the shafts, then they used to show at Devon and, and other places in Meadowbrooks to Hackneys. Um, but that's those days are not anymore. <laughs> right, right. Now, the, another thing, too, is you mentioned the fenders, and what we mean by that is that there was a piece of wood that actually went over the wheels because the wheels are right beside your seats, and they're usually big wheels. So they come up to the point where if – and I, I, mine did not have fenders, and I, I wished I had, because you would accidentally put your hand on the wheel occasionally, whether you wanted to or not. I mean, it just happened, uh, and, and it's not good. <laughs> so when you're moving, it's not good. Um, so I would have definitely preferred fenders, I think, if I, if I was to get another one for whatever reason. Right. And, and they do keep you from getting splattered with mud, uh, which is 
always important. Uh, the other thing that can happen, and it happens with any vehicle that doesn't have sides in it, is that if you are not keeping control of the ends of your lines, they can get caught in your wheel, uh, which is a very bad thing. Yeah, that's not good either. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. So there are many different varieties of these. They're they're all pretty much have the same fundamentals. So there's a lot of different cuts of them, how they're cut in the box and, and the front and the fender, just everything. Um, mm-hmm. And if you go to Google and put in Meadowbrook, you'll see about a thousand different varieties of these. They do make them in metal, but most of the ones you see are in wood. And some are fancy and some are not. And if somebody decides that a Meadowbrook is, is good for them for whatever reason, what should they look at when they go to buy one? What, what are the things to look for? So with every vehicle that you're going to buy, you want to check the wheels. You want, they can move just a little bit, but you don't want a lot of wiggling in your wheels. That's, that's a very bad thing. Um, and you, particularly with a Meadowbrook... And that's in used carts. Hopefully in the new cart, we don't have any wiggling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the... The used vehicles, sometimes they can look a little rough on the surface because they have varnish on them. Varnish is easy to retouch, but you want to take a look for stress fractures and water damage. Um, and you also want to check to make sure that nothing has warped. If you don't keep your v- your shafts aligned uh, straight, if you rest them on the ground, or if you sit in your vehicle while it's resting on the ground, you can bend the shafts. And the same thing can happen to the wheels if they are sitting in the same place too long or receive water damage. The other thing that you want to look for in a used cart is leg room. Um, We've all been stuck in a plane that is too small seat for us. um, And you don't want that with a cart. You want to be able to balance yourself off your legs. So you want to check for leg room. The reason that most people, I think, end up getting them is because they are probably one of the cheapest vehicles you can buy uh, when you're first starting out. That, and they fit in the back of a pickup. That's why I got mine. That's exactly mm-hmm. why I got mine. Then, Now, I switched uh, for my new pony. I switched to the Sprint cart mm-hmm. because it's totally adjustable everywhere. And right. it's just been much better, and it still fits in the back of the pickup truck. But. And, and realistically, that's what is a key selling point for a lot of people is how am I going to transport this cart? And they want to be able to either put it in the nose of the trailer Um, put it on top of the trailer or put it in the back of the truck. And when you start looking at that, um, you need to find the vehicle that's right for you. But you can do that and and look at the safety features because at the end of the day, you have to be able to be safe in your car. You want to be happy, you want your horse to be happy, and you want to be safe. And just as a side note, because she'd kill me if I didn't, Dr. Wendy's not here for this interview right now, but she hates these. (laughs) Meadowbrooks. <laughs> she hates Meadowbrooks for the safety reasons, and she would want that disclaimer put in here. So, okay. um, but that's good. Well, t- definitely check them out, um, and you know, go go take a look. If you're not sure what we're talking about, we'll put a picture of one also in our show notes. But I like the the shaft uh, measurement idea. We'll put that up as well, and right. we'll talk to you next month about another uh, about a different option for people who are just maybe next month we'll take a look at the most common four-wheeled vehicle that people take a look at that. and the pluses and minuses because then you get into do I get brakes, do I not get, you know, and all of those cut-unders and all those questions. So yes. um, we'll, we'll talk about that starting next month. 
Well, that's it for today. If you missed the other driving episode that we did on Horses in the Morning, then you can go back to the first Thursday of every month. You can find it at horsesinthemorning.com or on our app, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. It's the simplest, easiest way to listen to all 17 of our shows. And you can find Wendy at? At drwendying.com. And you actually sell stuff there. Tell everybody about that, your store. Oh, yeah. I'm really... um our store, we sell all kinds of holistic products. Um, we do have some herbal formulas there. And my new, I have this new line of salves that I've been uh, mixing up that are really popular. I have a summer sore cream and I have a sarcoid cream. And then, of course, I have a, um, a golden yellow salve, which is a blend of herbal formulas and uh, some beeswax and coconut oil. And that's a great... Um, thing for cuts and scrapes. It's antibacterial, antifungal. And then we also have a thrush formula that's great for white line disease or um, thrush. Very good. Well, you can find all of that at drwendyying.com. Be sure to hang around for tomorrow. We have some really bad ads for you. So get your ads in to Horse Radio or to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, hopefully yours will be one of the lucky ones to get in. And even if your ad doesn't get in to the show, because we get so many of them, hundreds of them now, we do put your name in the hat to win the prizes. So you definitely want to still send them in. And if you don't hear it, don't despair. Your name's still in the hat to win the prizes. And uh, that's about it for this week on the Driving Radio Show, Wendy. All right. Keep the shiny side up. 